When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. If you like this upcoming show, I'm Robert Rose, and this is the Marketing Book Podcast. If you don't like it, my name is Joe Polizzi. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing to help make you a more successful marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today I'm joined by Robert Rose, and we're going to talk about the new book he has co-authored with Carla Johnson, the title of which is Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing. Robert Rose is the Chief Strategy Officer for the Content Marketing Institute and a Senior Contributing Consultant for Digital Clarity Group. Robert's first book, Managing Content Marketing, co-authored with Joe Polizzi, is widely considered the owner's manual of the content marketing process. It has been translated into several languages and has been a marketing bestseller on Amazon. Robert was recently named number six in the top 50 influencers in content marketing. He's a regular columnist for eContent Magazine and a contributor to Chief Content Officer Magazine, iMedia Connection, and CMS Wire. He co-hosts the podcast, This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi. I have listened to all 67 episodes of This Old Marketing and highly recommend it. Robert, congratulations on experiences. Congratulations on the Dallas Cowboys making it oh, to the playoffs my last gracious. season. You brought that into the party already. All right. Yeah. And welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you very much. Holy smokes. That was... Uh that's a, that's a great introduction. I like that very much. You brought the Cowboys into this. Uh, into this. this is great. Well, you know, we've got to talk about the Cowboys now. I mean, they made it to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ever hopeful. I have been a fan since I was a little kid, so I am, I am always the glasses half full. So we'll see how they do this year. they got a lot of big question marks right now. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a good year. Well, it's always going to be a good year. Yes, and I had to bring up the Cowboys because we've been talking about the Cleveland Browns quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Joe Polizzi mentioned it. Jeff Roars yeah. talks about sure. it. And then next week I'm interviewing uh, Paul Reitzer in okay. Cleveland. Yeah. So there's something I about Cleveland Paul. and all the marketing books that come out yeah. of there. <laughs> well, there's something in the water in Cleveland <laughs> right. these days for sure. Right. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, in the book you talk about how marketers must lead business into a new era. That's right. And, and how the, the discipline of content creation management, CCM, will transform marketing both inside and out. So before we get to that, tell us the yeah. story about how this book came about. So and happy to. And, and here's the, you know, I, I jokingly say that this book has been five years in the making and, and, and you know, 18 months in the writing. And it, it, but it's true, really, because when I started out on this little adventure with Joe and the gang at CMI, really my job, uh, and it's still my job today, is to run around the planet and 
connect best practices of the operations of content marketing with the people who are actually doing the work. And that really means marketers and real businesses and, and you know, that are, that are doing real things. And so as part of that, I've gotten to witness everything from, you know, medium-sized businesses and what they're struggling with in terms of the disruption that digital has wrought and to, you know, largest, you know, some of the largest enterprises on the planet. And what I've learned over the last five years, and simultaneously, my co-author Carla has learned in her work with all of the B2B, giant B2B organizations that she does work with, are a couple of things. And, and, and really, it's this idea of how marketing as a function has simultaneously really lost its credibility in the organization. And you've seen it everywhere. I mean, we're not the first to say this, you know, the idea that marketing is really struggling for its strategic seat at the table and marketing is looked at as a sales, you know, we see, we hear sales driven marketing and we hear that it's really a subsidiary to the sales organization. And that it's really only job is to produce branding and pretty pictures and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and, Sometimes I hear the term arts and crafts, party planners. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but it's like, the, so, the people that were charged with basically promotion. Exactly. Well, that's exactly it, right? And so as the last 15 years have emerged, and really, if you look at the disruptions more broadly going on in business, not just in marketing, but of business fundamentally, industries that are getting disrupted, the function of of marketing and the and how content and, and and content driven experiences are changing that are really transforming the purpose of marketing and it means though that marketing has to one take more responsibility for really creating the value to that ultimate consumer because that's quite frankly one of the only differentiators we have left and two it means that we have to actually understand content and understand our purpose as a function. In other words, content and content-driven experiences right now are kind of projects or they are the thing that we do in the back corner when no one's watching and we do them as sort of skunk works and experiments and they are not true functions in the business. And so the, the, the real genesis of the book was all of the experience that we've seen over the 100 plus engagements we've done over the last five years and trying to synthesize the individual best practices, we call them better practices because they're not best practices, not yet, and pull that into some kind of methodology that can help a marketer transform marketing. It's not about transforming uh, the, the, you know, the, the way that we advertise or the way that we do email or SEO, but it's transforming the purpose and function of marketing to use content to create a differentiation in the marketplace. And so we hopefully have brought those two things together in two halves of the book. It's interesting. This seems to tie into, and tell me if I'm wrong, but there was a recent article in Forbes about how CMOs are starting to become CEOs in larger numbers than in the past. And that might be where a lot of future CEOs come from because of the changing nature of marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we're starting to see it. Now. And, and, and the other thing that's happening, the, the trend that's happening, is that you start to see CMOs taking over more of a technology, innovation, and sort of transforming role in the organization. So even if it's not as, as CEO, it's in some sort of transformative uh, role. And, and there's no better example of that than the guy who wrote the foreword for our book, Eduardo Conrado, who is now the chief innovation officer at Motorola. He was the CMO running, and this is the important part, running both marketing and IT. 
So he had hmm. purview over both and is now sort of even merged those things together to such a degree that he's now being known as the innovation, you know, the chief innovation officer, which is a really interesting, you know, which is all about creating better customer experiences, which is why we asked him, quite frankly, to, to write the foreword to the book because he, he embodies exactly the trend that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. You know, you've heard a generation of marketers uh, complain at times about not having a seat at the table, but they're getting pulled in now, <laughs> whether they like it or not. And I, it seems like a lot of it must be connected to their impact on revenue. You'd like to think that, right? I mean, you, so I mean, I find that in in most organizations where where the change is taking place, the marketer is taking that responsibility for revenue. In other words, they sort of they sort of get beyond this idea of well, our job is to deliver an MQL, a marketing qualified lead, or you know, our job is to put you know feet into the store or items into the shopping cart, and they sort of expand the remit of what they're trying to do to create experiences across the entirety of that journey, right? So it's not just drawing more customers into our front door, but it's also making sure they're nurtured, making sure that they are upsold, cross-sold, making sure that they are turned into loyal evangelists and ultimately want to talk about and share our story across all the different platforms that we'll never have the capacity to be on. And when we look at it like that, that means marketing's remit really increases but I don't find that that's – in most cases, I don't find that that's something where the business is pulling the marketing into it. It's rather the opposite is where marketing is sort of having to go in and say, I am now a big boy and I'm going to take my big boy seat at the table and I'm going to take not only the power but also the responsibility. It's the, you know, it's the classic Spider-Man, right? You know? So it's that, it's that idea of taking the responsibility to be that change agent that's really driving it, I find. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, step back and provide a little bit of context. Uh, you talk about the seventh era of marketing. Can you yeah. bring us up to speed about the first six? Sure. And so there are five. If you were cla- and it, one of the things that I do often at a, at a workshop or a talk or a keynote or something is I'll, I'll ask the audience, how many of you were classically trained in university uh, in marketing? And the number of hands goes up that go up are increasingly fewer and fewer every year. And it's really interesting to me because most marketers in the marketing organization today didn't come out of the marketing training, didn't come out of marketing university. They're, you know, they come out of project or they're digital natives or they come out of uh, you know, photographers or writers or journalists these days increasingly. Mm-hmm. Many of them don't have classic training. But if you look at the classic sort of business training of marketing, the textbooks will generally acknowledge five eras of marketing. And this is mostly because university textbooks can't keep up with anything. (laughs) But there are five. The trade era, which really is represented from really the 1850s up until the early 1900s, which was then replaced with the production era, which is really around the idea of industrialization and the Industrial Revolution, which takes us into the 20s and up into the early 30s, where the Great Depression provides a nice dividing line into what we call the sales era. What do I get for what am I paying? That takes us into the early 40s. Um, where we move into the marketing department era. So think classic Don Draper, think uh, the, the explosion of Madison Avenue, the three martini lunch, and really the product place, price, and promotion that we were all classically brought up to, mm-hmm. uh, to understand. That takes us to the 80s where globalization um, and really the flattening of the earth, depending on whatever metaphor you like, whether it's um, Thomas Friedman, brings us into company as brand or the marketing company era. So 
idea, brand, company as promise idea. And that takes us to where we stop with the university textbooks and a generally accepted sixth era, which really, it, depending on who you look at, started in the late 80s, early 90s with, I, I believe, Dr. Martha Rogers and, and, and Don Peppers, who wrote the one-to-one -one marketing solution, um, which really gave birth to the entire CRM movement, right? It's mm -hmm. what propelled Tom Siebel to start Siebel Systems. It's what really begat Salesforce.com and, and really the idea of customer relationship management. So the relationship era is generally the generally sixth accepted, which has gone on since the early 90s. And what we contend now is that we're moving now into 2015 and as we get closer to 2020, is that we're moving into this new era because the relationship with consumers is fundamentally changing. And it's not the relationship that consumers value anymore. It's the experiences that they have with a brand through the entirety of the journey that they're loyal to. And that, that transformation is where we think things are moving. Can you give an example of a company that's doing this well? Sure. From from if you look at it in its full scope, think. I mean, the 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 sort of quintessential example of this is what Zappos has done to buying shoes, right? Um, you know, and the idea of you know buying a pair of shoes is now you know I, I call it. We have in my family the Zappos subscription. You know, we subscribe to shoes now. You know, there are shoes in my mailbox every single week. And some of them go back. Very few of them go back, actually. But some of them go back. And they have completely transformed by creating a different experience around the idea of buying a pair of shoes. Oh, it's think definitely Uber. not just about the shoes. Yeah, exactly, right? And it's, and it's think about the way that Uber or Lyft uh, are, are changing the way that we think of moving from place to place in, a, in, a, in an automobile and how the experience is transforming for that. And all of these are companies that are, not only transforming the way that they actually offer a product or service, but quite frankly, how they use content-driven experiences to create separate value for that, you know, sort of sits alongside the, how the marketing is transformed by the creation of experiences that the consumer goes through at whatever part of the, the customer uh, journey they may, they may be on. In the book, you talk about Marketing has to go from a department that describes value into one that creates experiences. That's right. Can you explain what you mean by a department that describes value so people will understand where they are? Sure. So marketers are great at this, right? You know, and we even open the book this way. We, you know, talking about how there's no doubt that most marketing people these days have have they've gotten to the mastery of being able to describe the value of the product. We can put adjectives in front of nouns all day long. And that, that goes for our agencies and it goes for us as well. We know how to create a unique sales proposition. We know how to create a unique value proposition. I can show you great reasons to believe in the product or service. We know how to write content and create experiences that describe the value of the product or service our business offers. That's what we do. It's what we're classically trained to do as marketers. Mm -hmm. The muscle that we don't get to exercise very often, the, one, the, the new skill is this ability for us to create value through content or through experiences or ideally both that create separate value. In other words, can we create value that is separate and discrete from describing the product that is on its own valuable to our consumer? And you know, a great example of this is, of course, Red Bull, right? 
the amount of content that they create that's valuable to their consumers and the bond and the delight that they have created with that audience enables them, quite frankly, to pivot out of anything they want. If tomorrow the soft drink business goes south for them, they could sell surfboards or they could sell a fashion line or they could sell anything they want. They've created marketing content and that's really truly content marketing that is so valuable to that audience that they that the audience values it in and of itself, right? I mean, it's been said not by me, it's been said by a number of uh, of people that Red Bull is truly a media company that also happens to sell a soft drink. <laughs> and but that's the real value. That's the difference, right? Where marketers can now create that separate value through content-driven experiences that no longer they certainly align and they certainly work toward furthering a customer down the journey of enjoying our product or service. But it is separate value, not uh, not value that simply describes the value of our uh, of our product. It makes me wonder if marketers are aware that they have permission to do this now. <laughs> yeah, I, well, most don't, quite frankly. I mean, you know, so we're still. I mean, you know this better than anybody. We're making the business case in so many cases for our bosses to try and figure. out. I mean, we talk about this on the podcast all the time, where we talk about how marketers are struggling to really convince bosses that that this is really a, a you know th- we need to do this you know because so often this, the answer to that is that's not the way we do things around here and mm-hmm. this is you know it's 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 incredibly difficult it's a it's a fundamental shift for sure yeah and i have to remind myself that it probably took uh, 100 or hundreds of years for people to finally grasp that the Earth rotated around the sun. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd quite put that on that scale, but yeah, I, I, I hear where you're going with that. Well, yeah. Sometimes when I'm explaining these things to right. people, I, I, I think their heads explode. And <laughs> yeah. So um, let me ask you, you talk about the four archetypes of purpose-driven content. Can you touch on right. that briefly? Sure. And this is even separate. You know, we, we go into great depth in the book about the idea of content creation management, which is really just a proposed, you know, straw man methodology for how to construct content or these driven experiences as a function in the business. Yeah. And actually, um, in fairness, I should explain that the first part of the book <clears throat> is about why marketing must lead in this yeah. new era. And then the second part is... Is the how. The, yeah. Yeah. How, how, how to actually construct this in your business. Okay. And, and as part of that... We have this idea, this is an idea that I've been working with so many different clients on, which is understanding that if we're going to do this, if we're going to transform from a department that only describes value, but that actually creates content that is separate and value on its own, we have to understand why and the differentiation of that content. In other words, if we're writing an ad, we need to understand that we're writing a piece of what I call promoter content. Or if we're creating something that has value in and of itself and it's meant to develop an emotion or meant to deliver um, some sort of empathic uh, bond between myself and the audience, then I'm creating maybe what I'd call poet content. So we have four. So we have the promoter content, which is advertising copy, copy that really describes value. It's the headline. It's the ad. You know, it's all of those sorts of things. Our website, marketers know and understand. Very well understood. Then there's what I call preacher content, which is very high velocity, meant to just drive awareness, right? I think of everything, um, you know, think of uh, uh, Marcus Sheridan, what he does and what he's been able to magically do for his business through the idea of preaching the gospel. I mean, he even has this as sort of his style of of talking. Mm, Yeah, he's out there. 
He's you know high velocity content, answering every question out there, just really drawing. It's it's the classic inbound marketing idea, which is content that is evangelizing your approach, but it's high velocity. It's meant for you to be found, you know. And then we have professor content, maybe best you know sort of exemplified by Jay Bear's Utility. If you read that book. Mm-hmm. Content so great you'd pay for it, as he says so wonderfully, which is content meant to provide usefulness or teach, educate, give, you know, develop trust. It's about developing a trust with the consumer as they go through a part of the journey. And then there's the content purpose that I really have really fallen in love with, which is the poet content, because it's not always about teaching. It's not always about educating. It can also just simply be about entertaining. You know, when, when Bumgarner jumps out of a, a platform and parachutes to earth, it's very valuable to the audience, but it has nothing to do with teaching people how to do that. It has everything to do with the thrilling, entertaining bond that you can create by creating wonderful content. And so those, if we understand those four archetypes and why we're creating content, we can start to segment and create strategies for that content creation that help us communicate and come up with a lingua franca for why we're doing it in the first place. And that's mm-hmm. that's the purpose behind it. That's a great framework. Thank you. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It works well, for me. I was trying not to use the word paradigm. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, and that's a great, I, I love framework. Framework is it, right? It's it's in the classic, you know, not to get all Joseph Campbell here, but, you know, as, as Joseph Campbell says, you know, this is a, a framework or a set of, you know, in the same way that the physics sort of shape our experience within a physical world, these are things that can help us shape our experience within this, you know, this marketing world. So they're not rules, they're not templates, and they're not paradigms. They're just hopefully areas of of ways to think about things that help us shape a strategy. Are you referring to his hero's journey? That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, Before we wrap up, let me ask you a few other marketing book questions. Sure. Are there any marketing books you've read recently that you recommend? Yes, and I will tell you one right off the top of the bat because it's it's it, it's very top of mind for me right now. It's actually a book that I've reread a couple of times, and I just happened to finish rereading it um, uh, the other day. It's it's called The End of Competitive Advantage. Uh, Rita Gunther McGrath. I mean, I've read everything that Rita McGrath has has put out, um, but The End of Competitive Advantage is probably super top of mind for me right now, and it's just a, a fantastically great book. Oh, we'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. Are there any marketing books on your upcoming reading list? There are three that yeah. I've got sort of pegged right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, I love business books. I I devour business books. I um I I I, I you know so I, I I basically consume them as some as so many of these are not available yet. So they're mm-hmm. coming out. Uh, uh, they're not sort of on my nightstand waiting for me to read them. But they're actually not even out yet. Well, if you ever um, want a guest host for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, one of them, I'm not, I think maybe just out this week or something like that. It's called uh-huh. Evolve. Uh, Marketing as we know it is doomed. It's Daniel Newman wrote that book. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another book uh, by Tom Hopkins that's coming out, I believe in August is the uh, advance of that. And it's called Unthinkable, The Culture and Politics of Getting Innovation Wrong, which seems like it's going to be a really good one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I can't, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my partner's book upcoming in probably August or September, um, which is uh, uh, Joe Polizzi's book, uh, Content Inc., which is going to be, I think, a fantastic book for those in the startup uh, entrepreneurial world. Mm-hmm. And there's a podcast that's a corollary, isn't it? 
Uh, there is indeed. Yes, he started a podcast to sort of build up toward the book. Um, and it's a it's a wonderful podcast where Joe tells great entrepreneurial stories and how content is really affecting the entirety of the the business strategy and how they're sort of evolving the construction of a business. It's it's really wonderful. I wonder if that book is going to sell even more than the the latest one he has, which is perhaps a little more enterprise focused. In, in the epic, you mean ep- the epic, epic content, content marketing? marketing. Yeah, I, I, you know, here's the thing. I, th- I think you know, epic was a great sort of wind everybody up, get everybody excited about the practice of content marketing, and get enterprises specifically excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Content Inc. I mean, one, I think you're absolutely right because of the audience. You know, the entrepreneurial aspect of it, I think, will be will be really, really uh, in high demand. But two. This is something I know he's crafting from the ground up. You know, this is this is stuff, you know, he's exploring all new territory here. So I think it's going to be stuff that, you know, with, you know, with all due respect to content, you know, epic content marketing, I it's it's a topic I know very well and, you know, even though I had a little bit to do with some of the content in that book, it's well-worn content. It's just packaged in a really great concise way. This is all new material. This is like new stuff coming, right? And so it's 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 I think it's really going to be uh, uh great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I also think that given the small business nature of that book, the audience is so much larger for it. Yeah. And I, if, you've, if you've ever presented to a group and there may be some small business people there with their arms crossed saying, well, Robert Rose, that's real great for these uh, you know, big clients you have, but what about me? Well, <laughs> I want <laughs> right. to bring this book and say, all right, here you go. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, it'll be, you know, it, the, the thing is, it'll, it, it'll be good. What it's good for is not only small businesses that are really have no desires to be big businesses, you know, and, and, yeah, it's classic. One of the things I've gotten the chance to work with many SMBs, and, and and one of the classic things when consultants or agencies or sorts of things will come and work with SMBs, they have this false belief that every SMB wants to be a big business, and that's not true. Most SMBs don't actually want to become big businesses. They want to remain where they are and actually have more time for themselves, right, to spend mm-hmm. with their family and do those sorts of things. But so I think this book will be really great for them. But it will also be great for those startup companies that are themselves small businesses, but quite frankly, are just smaller versions of what they truly aspire to be, which is huge enterprises, right? So the the new Facebooks and the new Googles and the new, you know, those those types of companies. Mm-hmm. Robert, how can listeners find out more about you and your book? They can go to seventheraofmarketing.com, which you can get there with the 7th or spelled out seventh, either one. So www.seventheraofmarketing.com. And then, of course, I can be found um, on uh, robertrose.net if you want to come and, and, and see my website and learn and connect and would love to connect through all the social channels. Great. Well, Robert, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. This is fantastic. Well, that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything mentioned are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get notified of every new episode, show notes, links, resources, and the occasional free stuff. Also, at marketingbookpodcast.com, there are about 20 free, super helpful marketing ebooks on a wide variety of topics. And if you don't see what you need, let me know. If you've left a review in iTunes or Stitcher, I want to thank you. It's amazing how much a one-sentence review boosts the visibility of the podcast so more folks like you can discover it. 
Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. I live business books. I read easily five or six a month. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm reading a lot, too. It's really cut into my scotch drinking, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you need to combine those activities, my friend, because <laughs> right. those that's the best way. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you, those, those activities can easily be combined. Okay, okay. <laughs> Probably speeds up the reading, too. It can take a dull book. I mean, look, I say I read five or six, but what I really do is because I find, quite frankly, most business books are crap, and I have taken to sort of you know, there's sort of the classic format of business books these days. And, you know, you can just get through them very, very quickly. So I find myself swiping in a lot of these books uh-huh. where they're just rambling on about some. And you know that they wrote this case. It's, it's funny because the thing I hate in business books are sort of the case studies. Mm-hmm. And especially when they're not told as stories, but when they're sort of classically written as case studies, it's like, oh God, just move on. This is not relevant. The problem they faced was... (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? And then they tell this long 20-page story, and it's just filler. You know, you know it's just filler. Uh, And so what we did actually in this book, which is really interesting, we sort of recognized that all the case studies are in the very back of the book. We said, look, go to the back of the book, and we've put four great case studies that speak to this whole thing. But we're not going to put them into the meat here because that way you don't have to slog through them if you don't want them.